Well, happy new year. Happy new year. Happy, happy. Should old acquaintance be, be forgotten and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgotten and days of old lang syne? For old lang syne, my dear, for old lang syne, we'll take a cup of kindness yet, oh, rays of old lang syne. I'm proud of us for that. Good. We didn't plan <laughs> we that. Didn't. We didn't. We just that. went into it. That's why the volume was really loud. Yep. That's, um, just, normally when someone man, starts. Yours is so loud. So loud. I'm so. I got to that. Normally when someone starts doing harmony with me and I'm not uh, deeply anticipating it, I just start following them. I'm really proud of myself for not doing that. Um, oh, gosh. Well, happy well, New Year, Adam. Happy New Year, Christina. <laughs> I am. So happy to be back at a new year. 2024. 2024. It's hard to believe we started the show in like, what, 2021? Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, my word. And here we are. Here we are. So exciting. Welcome to the pod, everyone. We hope you had a really happy and healthy holiday celebration yep. over the last couple of weeks. Um, we're, we're, we're back for the new year with some all new episodes. Mm-hmm. Um. Got nothing else to say. <laughs> we uh, may have T-shirts for you to be doing. Oh yeah, we think we but have we don't T-shirts, know where they but are we don't know where they are yet. Because so we're recording in actually, technically, they are available today if you're listening to it when oh, it came okay. out. Okay, still on belowthecollar.com/slash/anyway/mystery-machine. But tomorrow, January second, they will no longer be there. Right. So, but that, you know what's a great way to start off the new year, Adam? You tell me. If you head on over mm-hmm. to Spotify or, or Audible or, oh, yeah. or um, uh, that one with the Mac, the uh, Apple Podcast, oh, that's it, that's or the one. wherever you listen to your podcast, and rate us, write us a review, give us some stars. I love when you take hold of this section of the show. Shocking, we isn't often. it? Shocking. I yeah. can't get the names right for things, but <laughs> close, halfway there. You figured most of it out. You know what I used to do? What? Just go over to Patreon. Oh, can they? Let's see if I can do that. You can go over to Patreon.com. Can you speak to the microphone? Patreon.com slash New York Mystery Machine. Is that our address? Yeah. Look at that. Just do it. For $5 a month, you get some stuff. For $10 a month, you get different stuff. And if you want to be a big spender after the holidays, $50 gets, gets you, you more stuff. more stuff. The most stuff Ish. on the list. Christian will beg to differ. Um... Be sure to New Year, new me. <laughs> new Year, new Christina. Things are coming the way. Um, so be sure if you like it to, to support the show to do all those things, right? You can buy t shirts, you can join the Patreon, you can rate us and review us. All those are really important in different ways. Um, uh, as you guys know, last year, oh my god, last year, yeah. Last year. Last year we were able to buy brand new things for the show, a new sound interface, a new headset, and new microphones. New microphones that when I do all sorts of things to the stand, you it's can't so, hear apparently. It's so peaceful. Um, we're probably going to eventually get some new microphone stands. We're still using our old stands. But for now, these are working just fine until we rebuild the, the Patreon bank up because we spent them all on microphones. But it was worth it. These microphones totally are it. great. So there's still some things we need to buy for the show. Plus, our monthly bills are dumb. <laughs> but, you know, bills is bills. So thank you for everyone who who, who donates every month on our Patreon. We, we love you. We appreciate we you. So as always, it's the first episode of the month it's also the first episode of, of, the, the, year. of the year so we want to thank all of our amazing patrons we want to thank jordan and carla and sam and Anne-Marie and christian and christina kate and chrissy jessica jordan amanda and jessica and Britt and andrea thank you all so much for your money every month <laughs> for your kindness thanks for you for your love <laughs> um we really appreciate it again we would not have this new equipment without you that 
literally came 100% from our patrons. Which is amazing. Um, truly amazing. Truly amazing. Because this, you guys know, sound equipment, is not, it's, it's not cheap. And we actually got, you know, literally the stuff we have is some of the best in the line to record podcasts with. And it's really important that we are able to have a good podcast set up, to have a good product. And so those who don't support us on the Patreon, that's okay. But know that the great uh, sound and stuff that you hear is in part by our amazing patrons. So you also should thank them as well. Yeah. In your heart. Be like, thank you, patrons. <laughs> in your heart. Christina, mm. where are we today? We are nearby where no one wants to be. Queens? On New Year's Day. Oh, you son of a. <gasps> I mean, you, 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 I'm leaving. The pause. <laughs> the pause is too. You, you shouldn't have That's paused. That's slamming. You shouldn't have paused. I was waiting for you to fill in with the. Where do you, as a New Yorker, not want to be I know, but you on didn't, New Year's Eve? You didn't Eve. say New Year's Eve first, and so I that pause I took advantage of. That's on me. It's over, Adam. Friendship over. Pod over. This is it. All right. You don't want to be at Times Square. I don't want to be in Times Square. Ever. Ever, really. But we're nearby tonight. We're nearby tonight, Times Square. And what day of the year? New Year's Eve. Oh, no, 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 the no. The worst no. time. No one wants to be in Times Square. No one New wants Year's to be. Year. So we're not in Times Square, per se, but we're nearby. We're in Look, Lower Manhattan. I used to work in Midtown Manhattan in the theater district in Times Square on Christmas Eve. I used to get into work at um, like eight o'clock in the morning and leave around. We got out early around like three or four because we'd have to, because you weren't allowed to like, right. once they close the, 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 the spaces. You're down, just you're there. You live there, there now. <laughs> and let me tell you people, we were, I worked at a little Broadway shop and people, we also sold like soft drinks and whatnot. And people would come in and buy like sodas and waters. And I'm like, enjoy the fact that you can't pee. That is why one of the major reasons why, but in addition to the cold and the crowding and the fact that I hate crowds and there's cold, there's nothing about it. There's nothing about it that's appealing. That's appealing. But definitely the lack of using. Oh no, um, don't like it. So we're not in Times Square. Thank God. Thank God. Um, but we are in the Village, and so a little bit south of Times Square, and you have to imagine all the crowds of coming and going. Right, that's where we are. The year is just barely 1984. Wee hours of the morning is where we're going to start here. Here is an excerpt from a 2002 article by Heather Dune McAdam that appeared in the New York Times on December 29, 2002. It is entitled, New York Observed Without a Trace. Quote, It was our chance to usher in a year we had waited for ever since George Orwell's futuristic novel had become required reading in high school. We had ranted, no, raved about the arrival of this year, touting it for its promise, as if 1984 was guaranteed to be a wonder marked on memory's calendar. In 1983, everyone was hoping that on the stroke of midnight, some miracle of society would change the world forever. We hadn't forgotten that Orwell's novel portrayed science fiction nightmare. We were all too aware of the possibilities that technology was already providing our culture. But it was the first important New Year's for us. Young, full of hopeful delusions despite fiction's prophecies, we kissed, sent firecrackers sailing off the rooftops, danced beneath David Bowie's hypnotic chant, 1984 and had absolute faith in our futures we believed in ourselves and who we were going to become one day as soon as we grew up then sam todd went for a walk around the block and never came back ever Jeez, poor sam todd poor sam todd that's a good turn yeah what's how sad that is so heather yeah i thought i would start off the new year in like a really positive way with like just some real bleak sadness so Heather McAdam was friends with Samuel Todd the night he disappeared and was with him um, at that time. So let's back up. Who is Sam Todd? You tell me because I don't know. 
Sam Todd was 24 at the time of his disappearance. Born on June 12th, 1959 in New York to Kathleen and the Reverend George Todd, who had a church in East Harlem. Sam Todd had light brown hair, blue eyes, was 5'11", weighed 135 pounds, and wore eyeglasses. Sam was named for his maternal grandfather, Samuel Franklin, who had founded uh, an interracial cooperative in Mississippi in 1933, which is pretty cool. Oh, man. 1933? Yeah. Interracial in Mississippi? Yeah. Kind of cool. Sam's friend Heather McAdams wrote that the photos that end up being used for the um, National Crime Information Center's website of Sam were not good ones. Quote, the clean cut bookish clergy student is there, but the whimsy of youth is absent from his face. You can't see the things that matter, like his love of jazz. You can't see the boy I knew so briefly leaping over parking meters as we walked to 271 Mulberry Street, where another New Year's Eve party was still raging. You can't see the way he twirled like a young cult, laughing and eating up the energy of the night until he was so dizzy he had to leave me on the dance floor to spin alone while he went outside for a breath of air, unquote. I'm going to keep going back to her 2002 reflection because it's just very poetically and beautifully written. How, um, how old is she at this time? How old is she at the time that this happened? Yeah. I imagine about Sam's age and Sam was 24. So I'm going to imagine sort of around that. Gotcha. I'm not sure exactly. Poor Sam Todd. Poor Sam. So Samuel um, attended the École Internationale in Geneva for high school because his father became the director of urban missions for the World Council of Churches. And so they were there. He also spent some time growing up in Taiwan. Um, and he was a Vassar College alum. He received his, his degree there in uh, 1981. While at Vassar, he volunteered in a soup kitchen, worked food banks, and even spent a summer working in Kenya, uh, where he met with church leaders. And then he went on to Zimbabwe, where, per one article, he was helping teenagers who had been um, former liberation fighters catch up in their schooling. The summer after that, he spent his time researching unemployment and housing crises in San Francisco. What a guy. What a mensch. Oh, my gosh. I hate stories when people are dead and they were such good humans. I mean, no one should die, but like... But he's he's really like... What a good one. Just remarkable for the kind of work he's doing. My word. He had his sights on becoming a minister like his own father, and at the time of his disappearance, was finishing up a degree at Yale Divinity School, where he'd already passed some of the tests required to become an ordained Presbyterian minister. Um, and he'd begun serving as an assistant at the First Presbyterian Church in New Haven, where he'd been preaching during Advent and working with the church's religious education program. Now, according to Sam's father, Sam had never had arrests or any other serious mishaps. He seemed to be well-liked. Friends at Yale described Sam alternatively as shy, painfully shy, socially awkward, while a friend by the name of Phil Olmsted described Sam as, quote, supernumerary person, an outsider looking for his place, unquote. Mm. According to Paul Keene, who wrote for the Connecticut Magazine in May 1985, Sam was quiet, communicating his feelings with his hand gestures often and looking down frequently. Quote, his favorite was a revolutionary fist thrust in the air. Another was a drum rim, the final flourish with drumsticks and a drum performance. Sam was an accomplished jazz drummer, but no one at the Yale Divinity School knew it until he happened to mention the fact one day in his second year at school. Now, most of Sam's friends said Sam was particularly solid and stable. And the associate dean of students at Yale at the time, a Joan Forsberg, described Sam as being well-liked by students and faculty alike. He is very able intellectually and is very concerned for peace issues and urban poverty. He is a quiet, gentle, solid presence. Hmm. She's quoted as saying that. Hmm. Now, Sam's brother, Adam, would say of Sam. Oh, no. <laughs> he would say of Sam, he was a pretty sensitive person. 
He believed strongly in universal salvation, that everybody has a good side, that everybody will be saved. But Adam also added that he shouldn't make us think of Sam as being naive. He'd lived in New York City previously. He'd been mugged. He was no stranger to being in large cities all over the world. And, you know, with all the wonderful and dangerous things that come with living in large cities. So his disappearance, we shouldn't talk up to just being like naive. So all in all, Sam is a pretty stable guy. You know, he's studying to be a minister. He's committed to social justice. He's interested in organizing for world peace. Um, a New York Times article from a few days after his disappearance noted that he was known all around New Haven for his activity on behalf of the hungry and the oppressed. Um, so all very much on the up and up as far as things that we know, which brings us to New Year's Eve, 1983. So on New Year's Eve, Sam and his older brother, Adam, went to some parties with friends of Sam's from Vassar. Now, per uh, Heather McAdams, quote, we had not planned to have a New Year's Eve party to celebrate the advent of 1984. Instead, our plan was to go to other people's parties and leave our tracks all over downtown Manhattan. Then people started stopping by, expecting something, and so spontaneously we combusted. We were an eclectic group of geeks and artists, Vassar grads commingled with dropouts, summa cum laudes with experimental artists, all bound up by the thrill of the night. At the time, Sam was wearing jeans, running shoes, and a sweatshirt, all blue, uh, with the emblem and name of his high school, Ecolint Genève, as well as a Timex watch. The group started off with dinner in Chinatown, then went to a party on Canal Street, then decided to continue celebrating at 271 Mulberry Street in a second-story loft. Um, this was a cold New Year's, right? So throughout the day and night, it's fluctuating between 17 and 37 degrees. So most of the time, it's hovering in the freezing end of that. Uh and it was at the Mulberry Street loft that Sam said his head was spinning and he needed to step outside for a second. According to another account, Adam tells Sam to go get some fresh air. Uh, according to Adam, Sam had been drinking beer and vodka. And so Adam went down with Sam to the street level and was teasing him because Sam tripped on the stairs. And, you know, Adam's like, oh, look how drunk you are. And, you know, sort of just teasing and ribbing him. Now, this was going to be a very quick jaunt outside. So Sam left his coat and his wallet, including all his forms of ID, at the party. Mm. Sam decides to jog a little. He was an avid jogger slash. Uh, so he leaves the party to go jogging. Basically. And Adam. So he. So here's what happens. <laughs> oh, oh, no, yeah. So Sam is dancing at the party and he's spinning around. This girl is spinning him around and he's, he's like, like oh i need a fucking jog i need a, <laughs> i need a jog uh he says my head is spinning and so rather than sitting down at the party he either he or his brother adam i've seen a, i've seen it both ways says why don't you go get some fresh air and so his brother adam goes downstairs with him to like see him to the door i guess make sure that he's getting that fresh air and so he's not bringing he's not bringing his coat he's not bringing his wallet nothing like that and then, yes, he decides to jog. Um, in the cold. In the in cold. December 31st. In the f well, now it's it's a little after midnight. So oh, it's about so 1.30 in the morning 1st. on January 1st. Yes. It's December. It's January 1st. It's winter. And yep. he has no coat, no hat, no gloves. And he's like, let me just go for a little run. I was going to go for a little run. Um, oh, now, Adam seems Sam. to think this is Sam sort of maybe proving that he's totally fine. Like, look, I can I can still jog. Like, I'm fine. Sure. Um, so he jogs up Mulberry Street towards Houston, and Adam offers to go with Sam, but Sam says no. 
Per the New York Times, quote, he gave me a funny look as if to say he was okay and didn't need to be taken care of, Adam Todd, Adam Todd said. Then he started jogging slowly. He was making a strong effort to get back in shape. That was about, like I said, 1.30 a.m. on Sunday, January 1st. Adam watches Sam run up the block, sort of turn the corner, figures he's just going to go around the block once. So Adam goes back inside. It is very cold. Goes back inside. But then after about five minutes, Sam doesn't return. And so Adam goes back downstairs to sort of have a look around. An hour later, Adam still hadn't found Sam and told Heather McAdams as much. Mm. And here's again, I'm quoting Heather. We spent the rest of the early morning hours walking the streets of Chinatown in Soho, calling out Sam's name, trying to get him to come home. At first, it was funny. We thought he had gone to another New Year's fete on Broadway, and we headed that way. Passing an open door, banging in the wind, I grabbed the handle and leaned inside to call Sam's name. A wintry gust grabbed me and swung me inward until I was hovering over the abyss of an elevator shaft. Someone grabbed my arm and pulled me back to safety. We stared into the cellar, our voices echoing between the dark shafts. Sam? There was no answer. A flashlight revealed nothing below. Our search became tinged with strangeness and disbelief gave way to the possibility that something might actually have happened to our friend. It was cold and he had left the party without even a coat and with no money in his pockets. Desperation crept upon us with the dawn. There are so many ways to disappear in Manhattan. Mm. So by 4.30 a.m., Adam calls John, their oldest brother. John was living in Hoboken at the time. He was studying law. This is the first time I've heard an episode where I, all the names are are, are, are particular to me. <laughs> Clearly, I know a Sam. Yeah. I'm an Adam. My roommate's a John. That's very funny. This is a good point. It's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> Do you keep thinking I'm talking is it to me? you about you? Is it you? I wasn't there. I wasn't. I wasn't there. Um. So John's a law student. Um. I believe he's studying at Columbia at the time, living in Hoboken. Uh, and he immediately drives to New York. And so along with Adam and the group of friends, they begin calling all the hospitals in the area, um, as well as other friends of Sam throughout the city. Now, they had an Aunt Doris who lived in the village, and they knocked on her door, hoping that maybe Sam had dropped in, which is apparently something he did when he would come visit the city on weekends. He would crash at Aunt Doris's. But to no avail. Um, they had hoped he was there because maybe he was too tired or drunk to get all the way back. But they knocked on the door. Doris comes down. He's not there. He wasn't in any of the hospitals and they didn't have anything corresponding to his description. Mm. So I think one of the things we really have to remember as well in imagining the search for um, for Sam is how busy the streets are at this time. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, look, we, we know this is in 2024 New Year's, but like it's still New Year's in the 80s in New York City. New York and the New York City streets have been crazy during New Year's for years and decades and decades and decades. Yes. Yeah. And so one thing that's interesting to think about is we've talked a lot on the show about how New York has cleaned up significantly over time. Right. So not this during is, this moment. Right. Not during this moment. One and two, the crowds on New Year's Eve, you know, whether they're still going between parties or just heading home from parties, heading home from Times Square. Right. It is probably a mess and so in a lot of ways i think we have to imagine that like looking for sam is really looking for a needle in a haystack that absolutely night. I, I i yeah i mean and again there's no cell phones no so cell phones there's none of that so 
This is the early morning hours of the new year for Sam's friends and family. And by 11 a.m., they still hadn't found Sam anywhere. So they go to the police and file a missing persons report, which makes Sam the first person reported missing in New York City in 1984. Oh, what a terrible thing to have your name attributed to. Yeah. Um, it seems that in the first three days, the press and the police don't fully take on Sam's story, which we've also seen happen, right? Um, it takes time for them to be like, no, this person really is missing. And well, yeah, there's a, a certain amount of, yeah, there's a certain amount of time that needs to pass. I believe it's, is it 24 or 48 hours? Ooh, don't quote me. I don't know. But it's either 24 or 48 hours need to pass before someone can can, can be declared as a missing person. Right. Um, and to the family's credit, like they, they go immediately, which I think is a very good response to immediately flag it. But yeah, the police don't really, is my understanding, do anything with it for a while. No, it's really, and that's just really frustrating because that's the first 24 hours when someone goes missing is like the, the time. most important. That's the most important time. The fact that you can't even declare someone legally missing until then is right. is so backwards. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 where like like let's go back and say, oh, they weren't missing. That's our bad. I I know it's like using resources and stuff like that, but nine times out of ten, if someone's missing for about twenty hours. And no one no knows who this person is, no contact. That should be enough to be like, no, this person's missing. We should get people involved in this. And I guess the thinking is, especially when it's an adult, is, well, no, they have a, a right to their privacy. They don't have to, like, show up where you want yeah, them to. I, th- I think there's a difference when you are, when, like, I think there's a difference when, like, oh, no, this is really weird. Like, I'm this person's brother. Yeah. I'm this person's best friend. Like We were at a party. We were at a party. And he just disappeared. Vanished. Like, there needs to be, like, a special case scenario when it's like, yes, yeah. I understand that, like, I can fall off the grid if I want and mm-hmm. you know, but like when my mom doesn't know where I am, my brother doesn't know where I am, my I left my, my friends, coat I left at the all party my belongings. with my ID and yeah. Yeah. Um so this is this is the first day of the new year for, for Sam's family oh, and friends. God. And we will continue with the search for Sam after the break. <laughs> The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. All right, we are back, and 
we're at, we have a, the first missing case person missing case person the first <laughs> missing persons case in 1984 yep first missing case person 1984 in new york city um it's sam todd this yale school the yale divinity school student who is down for the weekend having lovely parties with friends gets really dizzy at a party goes outside for a breath of fresh air decides to take a dog around the block and just never comes back. Yeah, that's just, ins- I mean, and there's just feels like there's no, I mean, there's no leads from the jump. Right. Like nothing you nothing have said obvious. in the story, you know, makes any sense to me. The, I mean, the last person to see him as live is his brother. Yep. Um, to see him in general is his brother, obviously. Yep. And like, that didn't seem shady at all. Right. It just sounded like, yeah. Especially because, right, so, like, it's funny because I was going to make the joke that, like, my first thought is always, ah, mad, that pesky family member did it, didn't they? Yeah. It's and I can't your first say that every here. Case. Every case. And here I'm like, yeah, honestly, this Adam. I mean, you can't say it for many cases, but you do. I do. It's important I to I absolutely know. do. It's, it's worth noting. It's worth noting. First of the new year. Um, that. You shouldn't say for many, but you do for a lot but of I cases. Do. So many good people have their names have been dragged to the mud because of you. Because of me. You're welcome, everyone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I can't say that here because Adam immediately goes into action. Within five minutes, he's like, you know what? Maybe this was a bad idea. Let me go check on him. Spends the rest of the night into the morning looking furiously. It's like, yeah, it was a bad idea. Yeah. Why'd you let him go jogging in the yeah. winter with no coat on, you asshole? Oh. Terrible, terrible namesake. I don't like that. <laughs> Other Adam. Other Adam. Other Adam, bad idea, other Adam. So by the following weekend, Sam's whole family and dozens of students and faculty from Yale and from Vassar and other friends besides have descended upon New York City to scour the streets for Sam. A friend, Walter Nikolai from Divinity School, who was a former roommate of Sam's, darkly joked that this must be Sam's way of getting the Divinity students out of the classroom to see poor people face to face. Oh, Jesus Christ. By January 11th, 14,000 flyers were posted along with three photographs of Sam begging for any information that was out there. In one report, someone who saw all the people scouring the area for him asked Adam Todd, was this person a millionaire? To which Adam responded, no, he just has friends everywhere. Oh, gosh. The family was thorough and they were organized in a way that I can't even imagine in this moment of like panic, fear and grief. The New York Times described the search's headquarters, which was based out of the upstairs room at the First Presbyterian Church at Fifth Avenue and 11th Street. Quote, the walls are prepared with lists of instructions for those looking for Sam Todd, of places where out-of-towners might spend the night, of times that every meal will be served at every soup kitchen in Manhattan. A map of Manhattan has been divided into 18 sectors for exhaustive exploration, unquote. The police, meanwhile, suggested that Sam that had Sam been killed, the body would have already been found. So their idea is like, don't give up hope. Sam has to be alive. We're really good at finding bodies in New York. And we haven't found a body, so we must be alive. Which um, <laughs> I have feelings as, about that. As two folks who have spent the better part of two and a half years yeah. um, doing a podcast about New York people being missing and yeah. murdered, um, I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ. We actually... Not great at that. We're not great at all. Honestly, I feel like that was a really irresponsible thing to tell these poor people. Yeah. I mean, like on the one hand, I get like, look, don't give up the faith. Keep looking. You're doing a great job. We're we're gonna try to find him. We don't have any reason to believe he's dead yet. But we would have found a body if. Yeah, we. I mean, literally, I can. I mean, uh, John Lake 
Dorothy Arnold, um, Richard Colvin Cox. Yep. Um, gosh, who? I mean, there's so many. There's so many. There's so many people. Theodosia Burr. Theodosia Burr. Marie Empress. Marie Empress. There are so many. There are so just, many people who just go yep. missing. Al, Alice Parsons. Oh, Alice Parsons. The Alan Parsons Project. It feels irresponsible to have said it quite like that to them. Yeah. Um, eventually, the police do become active in the search. So by January 10th, the police are going door to door around the scene of the disappearance. Um, they look around the area via helicopter, which also confuses me a little. I don't know how great a helicopter is for searching for someone in the middle of New York City. Right. Like That just seems like a weird choice. But here we are. Yeah, I don't know what the helicopter is going to do. But they did it. Um, and they even had a bloodhound try to pick up the scent. Sure. Which that's good. that makes sense. Uh, by January 22nd, Newsday reported that the family search was about to go national. So Sam's sister-in-law, Dorothy Nemitz, said, We are not going to be conducting the same kind of intensive searches in New York. We have saturated the city, postered every street. Now we're starting to spread out nationwide. So there was at least one report that described Sam as being an experienced hitchhiker. And so I think the hope at the time was, well, okay, maybe he made it out of New York City and he hitchhiked his way elsewhere? Weird. Well, so with that in mind, the volunteers begin moving towards some places where he had connections, right? So Poughkeepsie, around Vassar College, D.C., Providence, Rhode Island. These are places where he had either lived and gone to school or had friends or had worked. John Todd, that eldest brother, says, we don't rule out the possibility of foul play. You can't. It would be living in a fantasy. What the police say is that with the amount of time that's gone by, it gets more and more unlikely that something bad happened. As they said, New York City is very efficient at finding bodies. The idea of just stopping and acknowledging that we can't find Sam is too hard to take. Emotionally, we have to keep going. We're realizing today how fatigued we are, emotionally and physically tired. I think we've accomplished something. We've created public awareness. But at the same time, we haven't found Sam. And there's a growing frustration. And Detective Moscardini of the Missing Person Squad added... We still seem to have him alive somewhere. A personal opinion is, I think he's alive. I hate this. Moscardini also noted that, statistically speaking, the majority of missing cases turn up. I hate this. Yeah. It's yeah. just a load of like, it also, it, it's false hope. Also makes you believe that this person has decided to leave their life or their family or that they're abducted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, have we just forgot that people get fucking ad- abducted? Yeah. Not by aliens, but also by aliens. But like, but just like you know, that's a real thing that happens as yeah. well. So maybe he's not in New York anymore. Right. New Jersey is right across the goddamn river. Right. right. I just—it's so frustrating for the police yeah. to have the audacity to be like, "We find most of our people." We find most of our people. Don't worry about it. I don't care what the ratio is. You don't find all of them, though. Right. Unless it's unless it's a hundred percent, that is a flawed argument. Yep. Ah. Oh. So the family eventually offers $5,000 for any information that leads to locating Sam. Nothing really comes up in that way. In the months that followed, police examined his room at Yale, read his writings, and felt there was no indication that Sam was in any way suicidal or preparing to leave his life behind for something new. So some things, you know, weren't maybe all roses. There was a woman that Sam had developed a relationship with at Yale, but that seems to have fizzled. According to the Charlie Project website, uh, this ex was at the New Year celebrations that Sam attended, even though he had planned to avoid her. Some reports suggest that they had broken up because she didn't want to be a minister's wife, but she herself suggested after the fact that she had given off get back together vibes at the party. And Sam's aunt, Aunt Dars, agreed. Sam had even invited Jill to get together over vacation. Someone else said, 
quote, Sam was blown away because Jill was there and he didn't expect it. Sam was trying to get out from under her, unquote. So there's some different opinions about how he would feel seeing his ex at New Year's, whether or not he invited her, whether that's enough for him to feel like, oh, God, I'm feeling dizzy. I need to get out of here. Um, Other difficulties um, included that apparently he had received some incomplete grades for fall 1983. Uh, The rule at the Divinity School was that if those stayed incomplete, so if you're not turning in your coursework by February 1984, um, they would become automatic failures. Mm. And he was no longer, regardless, on track to finish his co- coursework that year, as was planned. So he's falling behind in school. Sure. Um, he was also having trouble paying tuition, as well as rent. And he accepted some financial help from relatives. Um, though there's some suggestion that maybe he wasn't accepting enough, that he was still really struggling. Nonetheless, this didn't seem to be enough to family, friends, and the police to suggest that he would have wanted to escape his life as it existed. His family insisted that despite these things, he was overall happy. To your point about kidnapping, one reason that they weren't really thinking of it as a possible abduction or kidnapping is because there was no ransom ever requested of the family. And the family did have someone constantly by the phones, constantly calling, making phone calls. So winter turns to spring, turns to summer. That's sort of when you start to think, okay, if there is a body in the water, for instance, maybe it starts to float. Maybe it starts to float as the ice melts but there is no body adam told newsday quote there was a big fear that as the warmer weather came in they say that springtime is when the bodies start to pop up but he hasn't been found so that's been very positive for us and the sprinkling of sightings give us a lot of hope we just are hope keep hoping that in time he will eventually reappear there are sightings sprinkling so exactly so there are some sightings that get mentioned okay so, as of january 6 1984 Sightings of Sam were beginning to be reported, including one of Sam standing in line at a soup kitchen in the Bowery and another at a homeless man's shelter. Um, But the Missing Persons Bureau was sort of unconvinced by this, with Sergeant Theodore Newman saying that such such reports weren't founded on anything. Quote, there's a lot of things being said and there's no validity to them, but we check everything out. That seems so casual. Right, very callous, very flip. Because it feels like if he's going to these places, he would go to them consistently right so this should be something like let's just stake out these places stake out these places right and i think that's probably why you know in the headquarters so to speak the family has these lists of when all the meal times are at every soup yeah, kitchen yeah. right like they had the right idea with that um there was also a sighting in a california church but local authorities and the family investigated and concluded it was a mistaken identity case Later on, there was a sighting in a Salvation Army in San Antonio. Someone spotted a guy in a Salvation Army shelter carrying a Bible and thought maybe it was Sam. Um, The general feeling around those is a couple of things. Maybe, Maybe Sam decided to go and experience how the poor lived as part of his ministry, but the family kept coming back to he wouldn't just make us worry, though. We would have supported that as an idea. We would have been okay with that. He wouldn't just disappear at a party to do that. Yeah, um, it doesn't make sense. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't buy leaving his life. Right. I don't. I just don't buy it. Yeah. The other. If I'm leaving my life, I'm putting a coat on. Right. Right. I, I and don't I'm know. Take, I, I, yeah. don't, I, I mean, it sounds so simple, but like, if I'm ready to walk away from my life, I want to walk away from my life. I don't want to die. Right. So I'm gonna put my coat on, and then I'm gonna disappear. However, I want to even disappear. if you're leaving your ID behind, you probably want that coat in this. You weather. want the coat. I, I. It sounds so silly, but actually, I think it's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah. And I think the other major suggestion that keeps getting bandied about in these articles is amnesia. Right. So we start sort of early on. We mentioned that quote from his friend Heather, who said that when they were looking for him that night, she almost fell into an elevator shaft. What if he jogging, drunk, tipsy, head spinning, falls into an elevator shaft? What if he runs in the direction of either river, right? East or Hudson and falls in. You know, what if... What the river if, doesn't make sense. They would have found the body. Well, right. There you go. That's yeah. that's where that is. But if he has amnesia, yeah. maybe he's wandering around. Sure, sure, sure. So an entirely different theory that does get put forth by uh, Paul Keene, who I mentioned wrote for um, a Connecticut newspaper or magazine in 1985. He suggests that perhaps Sam was gay. Okay. And van- vanished in order to not have to explain to anyone or deal with navigating the world of being gay and the church. It's 80s. We get it. It makes sense. Um, his friends and family insist no he wasn't gay or bi we would have known but no that's not true that's not how that that's works that's not true people don't know um, there are some folks on the web sleuths forums who have wondered uh, whether there was more than alcohol involved at the party so specifically one forum member Jay Solt 1210 wonders if the descriptors of a spinning head and feeling unstable suggest that there had been drugs um, and then perhaps he would have fallen in the Hudson or the East River and his body drifted away before the police got around to searching. Perhaps the currents take him out sure. to sea, basically. Um, another- there's, there's, there's a lot of landmass right. in the New York Islands. Right. Between, and, and New Jersey. Like, right. there's a lot of landmass between Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, yeah. Roosevelt Island, New Jersey, Governor's Island. Like, there's a lot of landmasses. Right. It's, for someone to wash up. Basically. It's really hard, logically, for someone to fade into the Atlantic Sea. Right. Right. And and to, and to not surface in some way unless there is an intentionality of making yeah. sure that person isn't surfacing. It, it just feels like there's a lot of landmasses to get through before you're just in the open. Yep. I mean, as far out as Ellis and Liberty Island. I mean, like, there are a lot of landmasses. Yeah. Wherever the currents are going... I just I find it hard that you don't wash up someplace. Yep. Another web sleuth contributor, Gaia227, suggested that perhaps his disappearance is related to other disappearances of young men on New Year's Eve in other years. Oh, that's interesting. Specifically, Vernon Jones, age 23, vanished in 1993. No trace ever found again. Larry Andrews disappeared in the early hours of New Year's Day uh, a few years later, and his body was eventually found in the East River. Others point out that there are a lot of people in New York, so people disappearing, especially on an especially busy, crowded day like New Year's, may not really suggest a connection. But I thought that was an interesting idea, though. What if somehow these cases are related? Um, But in the end, there has been almost nothing found of Sam. Every few years, there's an article in the Daily News and Newsday and something else sort of trying to raise awareness about this again. But it's been, what, 40 years? That's insane. And there is just as little to follow clue-wise as ever before. So the Todds um, spent years following up leads um, for of any credible, signi- uh, any credible sighting. They went to Philadelphia, to Wyoming, nothing. Adam Todd took a leave of absence from his work as a paralegal and spent eight months following up on every lead he could. In spring 1984, in honor of Sam, his classmates donated to a soup kitchen and a shelter for the homeless that Sam and other students had founded Mm. in lieu of a traditional presentation of a gift to the school upon graduation. 
and a scholarship has been set up in his honor, providing financial aid to students from Asia or Africa who show an interest in ministries committed to social justice, empowerment of people, and peace. Man. And Samuel Todd's case remains open and unsolved. Man. And I'll be honest, I have no idea. I have not a single thought. I mean, there are others, like there's a, there's, in Paul Keene's work, there is like a professor who met with Sam because a friend of Sam's like, you should talk to this guy. Like he's really having a hard time and said that he seemed like sad or unstable, but he didn't have Sam in any classes. It was a one hour, like coffee with this. Like it doesn't hold the same kind of weight, I think as going through his journal writings or like talking to friends and family. Like, no, we can't think of anything that would make him run off like this. Yeah. I have no, I mean, I'm stumped. I, I really don't know. I think that, yeah, I have no thoughts. I don't know where he could be. I don't know what kind of happened to him. I, you know, I, I think that we can't write off murder. We mm-hmm. can't. I know the police are trying to, but now it's 40, 40 odd years. years later. No one's found him. No, 2024. It's 40 years. Yeah. No one wants to. I mean, I don't know. I I don't, bel- I don't believe he leaves his life either. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense to me. I don't know. It's really weird. It's really weird. If you have any thoughts or ideas, um, if you have seen Sam, you know what to yeah, do. Yeah, we'll post over. some pictures. Yeah, you head over to the your local police department and let them know, and they'll get in contact with the Todd family. Um, if you have any thoughts about where you think Sam could be, you can head over to our email, near uh, nymysterymachine at gmail.com, our socials, nymysterymachine at uh, the Instagram, on the Facebook, on the TikTok, at nymysteries on the X. Um, yeah, what a tough way to start the year, but it is a New Year's case. So, New Year's case. Um, to be honest, it was that a murder, so. Yeah, is that, that, that? <laughs> pick your, pick um, poison. So, yeah, uh, and we are back all new next week. We're going to be back for a while now. For, you know, we, we usually take a, a break sometime in the spring, but we should have all new episodes for the next couple of months. Um, in a few weeks, you'll notice that my voice may or may not change. I'm getting surgery on my nose. Very um, exciting. Fixing my deviated septum. So uh, we also have, um, that's happening on January 5th. We'll still have episodes running through all that. We're going to, you know, make sure that we're all recorded up so the, there's no delay in that. But there's stuff happening in the world. And so um, excited to, to enter 2024 with all of you. Excited to cover a lot more exciting stories from not only just New York, but uh, the tri-state area as well as we start to really, uh, you know, trickle and diversify some of our stories here on the New York Mystery Machine. We're really excited about it. All right. We're back all new next week with a brand new episode of the New York Mystery Machine. I've been Adam Ace. I've been Christina Marinelli. Thank you ever so much for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. <laughs>